Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 170 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, April 17th, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming as of Monday, April 21st on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Well, Jace... Tell us what we have in store this week. Well, Captains, we've got another big show for you this week as we continue our conversation with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, and discuss more features in Season 9 and beyond. This week, we trek out Star Trek culture and some poor habits cookie cupcakes would like to see broken. In Stow News, news keeps ramping up with more dev blogs on Season 9. Then yours truly, Professor Jace, will take the helm of the show with Priority One Podcast's reimagined Field Notes segment. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location throughout the year. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. Check out the blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts with several different bloggers and authors writing for the website. Check out those blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at STOPriorityOne. We're hoping that every Sunday evening around 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be taking to Twitch.tv for live playthroughs of Star Trek Online, hosted by the cast and crew of Priority One Podcast and the Priority One Fleet. Subscribe to our channel at Twitch.tv slash Priority One. Well, Captains, let's trek out what Cookie has to say about some poor form in Star Trek culture. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. This is dedicated to all the new Star Trek fans out there. How many times have you heard this? You're not a real Star Trek fan unless you've seen the original series. 
Or... Can you believe this person is calling themselves a fan of Star Trek when they've only seen the J.J. Abrams movies? All of you have probably seen the memes on social networks or spoken to someone with that opinion, or maybe you feel that way yourself. Our fleet, Fleet 31, recently did a charity event in uniform, and while we were there, a lovely young woman approached us and asked to take our picture. While she was getting ready to take the photo, she hesitantly asked, You guys are... Trekkies, right? She almost seemed scared to ask the question, and she flinched after asking it as if we were about to snap at her for using the wrong term. This unfortunately didn't surprise me because I've actually seen that snap reaction to using the word Trekkie at a recent convention. I'm not sure why it's anyone's business how much Trek a person has seen, or if they know the difference between a warp core and a Boussard collector. But I've been seeing a lot more of this elitist hipster mentality in the Star Trek universe lately, and unfortunately it has been around for a while. The same thing was said about TNG fans who didn't see the original series, or DS9 fans who didn't see TNG, or Voyager fans who didn't see DS9, etc, etc. For whatever reason, people seem to be irritated by other people who like Star Trek after only seeing a little bit of it. Why though? Perhaps they think there should be some kind of initiation or investment of time that must be paid before one can earn the title of being a Star Trek fan. Maybe they feel that since they have spent X amount of time and energy into Star Trek, that others who have not don't deserve to be associated with it. It could also be that they think you haven't really experienced it to the full. Or maybe they think the portion that you viewed was not a good enough representation. I, for one, give Star Trek far more credit than that. I don't think it takes watching all the different television series, movies, books, etc. in order to know that you like it. Who knows, for some people it could take as little as one movie or episode. It really doesn't take much because of how awesome it is. It's Star Trek. I honestly could not blame someone for getting a taste of it and deciding right away that they like it. But whatever the reason may be, People are saying these things to new Star Trek fans. What does this accomplish? Well, a few things. It alienates new fans. It lets them know that they are really not welcome to express themselves or show how they have enjoyed what they've seen of Star Trek. And it shows them that their opinions are just not as valuable. It sends the message, because you don't know as much as I know about Star Trek, you are not a true fan and most likely never will be because I was a fan from childhood and you were not. This not only scares new people away, but it makes their first Star Trek fan experience generally unpleasant. But who decided these Star Trek fan rules and requirements? What right really does anyone have to tell you what you are or what you are not a fan of? How would someone else know how much you enjoyed the Star Trek film or episode you just watched? How it affected you and how often you thought about it after you watched it? How would someone else possibly know how that movie or episode really made you feel? Now hopefully, even the new fans that are made to feel foolish will still continue to like Star Trek despite all of that because it's just that good of a show. I think it can survive even if its main supporters are trying to drive away new fans. But why would we want to drive away new fans? The more fans, the more demand for new content. Wouldn't it be great to get a new Star Trek TV series? Wouldn't it suck if it was cancelled after the first season because it didn't have enough viewers? So if someone wants to call themselves a Trekkie or a Trekker or whatever it's all the same to me, a Star Trek fan, instead of putting them down for the content that they haven't yet explored, 
Why not support them and make them want to explore it further? Just a thought. I've been going to the conventions, I want to say, for the last six years now, right? So I, I think in those six years, I only missed maybe one. Uh, not only to the New Jersey convention, but I've also now been to Vegas uh, at least twice. And what I have noticed over the course of this, the last six years is that there has been an, an influx of younger, fresher blood coming to the convention. And what do I mean by that? Well, when I first went, I think I was 24, the first time I went to a convention, right? If I'm doing the math right, 23, 23 when I first went to a convention. And I felt really out of place. I was one of the youngest there. You know, I didn't have any friends to go with. I didn't have anybody to, to kind of hang around with and talk to. I had to be social and, and talk and meet with new people. I went to the the first year I went, I, I went all out and did the captain's chair. So I had the, that little dinner party thing. And that was fun because I, I, I made some contacts and I made some friends. But I was, like I said, I was probably one of the youngest and very few 20-somethings at the convention. And what I've noticed over the years with the the new JJ, particularly with the new JJ movies, is that there has there's a lot of new blood coming into the conventions. And here's the thing. With new blood comes new money. And with new money comes attention from CBS, right? There's no way that they're going to redo a show. There's no way that they're going to continue investing in new movies if there isn't an audience for it. So if you're at a convention and you see a 20-something walking by and they're wearing the JJ outfit, don't mock them, right? Because a lot of us here listening to the show, I think we can. it's safe to say that a majority of us are, are quote-unquote purists, right? We, we watch TOS or we watch TNG and, and there's a certain issue that we have with the JJ movies. But... It's still attention to a franchise that we know and love. And an attention that, when push comes to shove, means money. And you know, my take on it is that a lot of people I know who have gotten into Trek through the JJ-verse have then looked for more and discovered Next Generation or Deep Space Nine. I mean, mm -hmm. I have multiple groups of friends or, or couples all working their way through the back canon that they never watched before because it's back in the public consciousness. Yeah, that's... Spot on. And with that, we have to be attentive to that. You know, when I first got into going uh, to cons, uh, you know, I, I never felt out of place. I never felt like anybody was judging me, like, who's this new guy? Mm. Uh, fortunately, right? But that's not to say, and, you know, cookie, case in point, you know, you had an experience at a, at a, um, a charity event. And that's not to say that others are not experiencing that, that there are others that aren't being looked at oddly because what's that 20-something doing at the Star Trek convention. I remember last year, as a matter of fact, I interviewed uh, two young girls and uh, I asked them, okay, so what, what brings you to Trek? Oh, we found, you know, we liked, we, uh, we love Zachary Quinto as Spock. He's so dreamy. And it was super cool, but it, it, it's, it's cool because it injects new life into the series. It injects new interest, you know, despite a majority of purists' reservations about the JJ films, uh, if not for, for them, Maybe we wouldn't have Star Trek Online the way we have it right now. Maybe we wouldn't be seeing a third film come out. Um, so be careful. Be careful how you give looks You know, when you're at a convention 
or when somebody says, oh, yeah, I watch Star Trek, welcome it. You know, invite them. Invite them to, to watch more. There are a ton of ways to, to welcome new members into the Trek family. So make sure that, that you're treating them nicely. Here's our first community question. Now, I know about half of you may not agree with me, but do you feel that fans of Trek can sometimes be a little too hard on one another? Does this only happen in Star Trek, or how about other franchises? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in this episode's post on the official Star Trek online forums. Discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. All right, Captains, let's jump right into Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Season 9 is shaping up more and more as we draw closer to its release date of April 22nd. And with Season 9, Dev Blog number 12, Systems Designer Jeremy Vorticus Cryptic Randall introduces players to the new 8472 Counter Command Reputation Track. With the Undine threatening the Alpha and Beta Quadrants, the Federation is going to need new, improved equipment to help combat the threat and assist in stopping the Undine. As with previous Reputation Tracks, you'll need to earn marks, in this case Undine marks, to progress. You can earn them by completing any of the four new PvE queued events. You'll also earn isomorphic injectors that, like Borg neuroprocessors and Voth cybernetic implants, will be needed to complete projects for that elite gear. We will have links in the show notes to the current triple test server stats of the reputation gear, uh, including set bonuses for space ground and the weapon and console set. Now, I believe that one of the set pieces actually comes from the featured episode, uh, which we'll get to later. Elijah, I think you had a few things you wanted to say about the set. Yeah, I mean, you know, after looking and researching the set in its current iteration on Tribble, um, you know, the the, the four-piece space set, what grabbed my attention was that deflector array, Mm -hmm. which is designed to improve a ship's offensive ability. So that that's always good. So a bonus to weapons as well as accuracy. So for any ship captain, uh, that's that's definitely a plus. I don't know what I would match that with. Not only not only that, right? Usually, for instance, with the Dyson reputation and with uh, let's say uh, uh, Task Force reputation mm-hmm. of the four piece set bonus when you get when you combine the deflector, the shield, the warp core, and the engine. The first set bonus, the two-piece, gives you, in its current iteration, plus 12 to anti-proton damage bonus resistance rating. What, I'm sorry, is it, is, it's not plus 12 to anti-proton damage, it's the resistance to anti-proton damage. Is that what I'm right. reading? Right, because that's the favored weapon of the Undine, it's a resistance to their main attack. You see, I'm not digging the two-piece set bonus because it's it's hyper-specific, right? It's very hyper-specific to the Undine. Whereas, for instance, the Dyson Rep or the Task Force Omega or even the assimilated uh, consoles offer a pretty decent set bonus when you just run the two-piece. So for me, I'll probably stick to running my Dyson Deflector with my Dyson Warp Core for the shielded critical systems bonus and then assimilated module with kinetic cutting beam for the Omega weapon amplifier. But I don't know yet that I would combine any other pieces from the Undine space set. Well, see, I compare this set bonus to something like the Aegis, which gave a plus 5% bonus defense for two-piece set bonus. But it beats that by also giving 
the anti-proton damage resistance. So I think the hull repair from the Borg or some of the more offensive bonuses we've seen recently, it, it's hard to compare a defensive versus an offensive bonus. But I mean, a plus five defense is on on par with the the sorts of bonuses we've seen from a two-piece set before. And then it gives that in addition to something else. So, I mean, it's in line what we've gotten. I just, I don't know if it'll draw people to use the two-piece set. I agree with you. It, it, the, yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. Even the even like, let's see. What? Uh, bear with me here. Let's say the three piece set bonus, the biomolecular fluidic space counter blast. You know, again, very much against the Undine. It's this is very very hyper focused on the Undine. Mm-hmm. The only one that I think, or the only set that I think would be attractive, at least in my Chimera build, would be the counter command ordinance set bonus, which is which are the consoles and the weapon mm-hmm. set combinations right so a two-piece set bonus will give you a plus 25 photon projectile weapon damage and then plus 15 percent to phaser and disruptor weapons so the plus 15 to phaser that that would be great on, on my chimera build but you know there, there's nothing here that i'm like ooh, i really want you know nothing that's really grabbing my attention whereas like the dyson reputation that replaced my Mako set. Oh, yeah, I remember. I'm running the Dyson Deflector and the Dyson Warp Core. Then I'm running the Fleet Shields and the Assimilated Module with the Kinetic Cutting Beam. Those two two-piece set bonuses have been uh, working very, very well for me. And, I, I, there, again, there's nothing in this Undine set, in these Undine sets that I'm really kind of clamoring for. Well, I do have to say that the Deflector Array is really cool because there's not a lot of pieces in that slot that target offensive abilities for non-science captains. Uh, I use a fleet deflector just for the science cooldown, so that's something I might actually use in my build, regardless of the set bonuses. The deflector array? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, a 15% bonus to your energy damage type is like half a console, and the photon torpedoes have had a comeback since the gravimetric photon torp from Dyson, so there's a little synergy there, too. You see, actually, you're right. As I'm looking at the deflector array, I mean, plus 26 to particle generator. The deflector is pretty handsome. I may swap out the Dyson deflector and find another way to get the two-piece set bonus on Dyson, just so I can have this deflector. Because you're right, it is. It, this is a pretty. This is a pretty mean deflector, mm-hmm. actually. That whole set gives a lot of bonuses that are either to directly to offense or to speed maneuverability, which. We, we don't see that across the whole set many places. Usually it's like a mix of offensive or defensive. and It's a little more focused set, even if it's not exactly what you're looking for in a set. And one of the reasons that uh, the deflector array is, is handsome, at least in its current iteration, it's got plus 5% to accuracy, 8 points to starship energy weapons training, mm-hmm. and then you've got 17.5 to projectile weapon, to structural integrity, 8.8 to shield systems, and then another 17.5 to inertial dampeners. And then again, the 26.2 to particle generator, uh, which is great on an escort if you're running, let's say, the no-win build where you want some of that c- crowd control. That'll really boost your uh, gravity well on that, which I like. I really like. Yeah, that's solid. I mean, I, I think a lot of folks try to squeeze in a gravity well on any build they can nowadays. And I know you run a no-win scenario type build. Unfortunately, I, I don't have room for it on the Galaxy X, but several of my other ships use it. What about the reputation traits? Did anything catch your eye from that dev blog? 
Um, I thought that I probably will use them during the actual Undine content quite a bit, but I didn't see anything that would become part of my regular everyday build. Yeah, again, very hyper-focused. The only one I would think about using, because now at this point you're unlocking both traits, right? So you'll be getting a total of eight traits that you'll be able to hot-swap. Uh, and the only one that I thought of was the tactical precision for space, mm -hmm. right? That's great for your accuracy. And empathic uh, reverberation for the ground. What does the empathic reverberation That's a get? reflect energy damage when you're hit. Right. So th that's, not, that's not too shabby. That's definitely uh, an, an added bonus. And, you know, in terms of the ground set also, right, with what the, the, the suit and the resistance against psionic, it's really against only the Undine, right? The, the, and I guess the Davidians, those are the two main enemies that use psionic attacks. Oh, uh, uh, Remans have them too. Yeah. It's not a big thing though. It's not like, it's not like I ever think to myself, gosh, I wish I had a resistance to psionic. <laughs> oh, well now I do, right? And with the fact that we'll be able to hot swap them, I think that's the idea. Bring in things that are maybe best in slot against certain opponents to encourage us to rotate and use the different abilities more. They're, they're really trying to tailor these uh, rep system rewards to be, uh, to be really effective against that enemy that, that you're repping up against. So all of these things should be tailored towards taking out Undine because that's the reputation. A little self-serving though, because once you hit tier five, you're probably not going to be fighting that enemy as much, but yeah, I guess that remains to be seen. Not only that, not only is it, it becomes almost obsolete once you hit tier five, but there's also that simplicity aspect, you know? There's, I really don't want to be spending 20 minutes going, all right guys, wait up, I got to switch to my, my Undine build, you know? Give me give me five minutes, I got to go back to Earth Space Dock or blah, blah, or, or any social zone and and switch out um unless right we're we're coming into the 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 ship problem now only on the ground or with your traits right it took those those precious moments where i could possibly be on my bike uh rolling on the southern on the northern hills of california um you know instead of fighting the enemy i am spending some time doing doing these swaps so i'm hoping that they'll be able to introduce a, a loadout system Sit like the like they did with the ships, right? That'd be great. I can just hit load out my Undine build, boom, and everything changes. My my traits, my ground, my space, everything will change. Am I crazy that I just don't use loadouts as much as I thought I would? No. I have not had a, much of a need for it, but I tend to build a, a an all comers take on all comers type of build. Right. Yeah. That's that's how, that's kind of my view on it too. Is that I I wanted to be switching between my cruiser and my escort and things of that nature, but uh, life events have prevented me from spending the loot to uh, to be able to switch freely. I like what I like, and I have my own sh my ship and my special loadout, and I don't, just don't feel the need to change it. Well, see, I think what what I did or what I've always done before loadouts went live is I would tailor a ship with a, sh a specific build. And it stayed that way. And when loadouts came out, I just went into every single ship and locked them into the, you know, made a, a free loadout for each one that had their main configuration that I always use them for. I think what I'm waiting for with loadouts, uh, and I know this is way off topic, but I think what I'm waiting for is the ability to take a loadout and move it to another ship. I'd, I'd love to, you know, build all the gear, you know, my, my kill everything build for my Vesta and be able to just instantly, as much as possible, move it to another ship and then kind of tweak it from there. Like an export-import option. I remember we had this conversation when the loadout system first came out. Yes. Uh, and I think they're working on it somehow. The only the big issue that they are experiencing is that the ship console configuration is sometimes different. So that, that it, it 
it's a hurdle in that aspect. But if I recall, I think um, um, Stephen D'Angelo had mentioned that let's say when you buy a new ship, if it's a, let's say it's a something if it's a cruiser like the Odyssey, right? And you already have a, a similar build that it would try to think for you and preload it and pre-configure it. I think that's as, that's even as far as he wanted to take it. But I think that now they should that's a great feature, but they should also consider these load the loadout system for these traits now, right? So if if the reputation system is going to move into these hyper specific features, hyper specific consoles and equipment and traits and passive powers then the that loadout system I would love for it to, to trickle down for the, the whole paper tune right so that everything is just at, at the switch of a button I can click load out my, my Borg build and boom everything changes my ship weapons my my passive powers my active powers and whatever ground set I might have well, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think they, uh, Al Rivera said that they might be working on that or considering that for future implementation. Yeah, I know they want to link the captain traits into loadouts as soon as possible once that goes live. So, captains, what are your thoughts on the new uh, rewards offered with the 8472 Counter Command Reputation track? Is it a little too hyper-focused or is it just up your alley? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Nick Taco Fings Dugid takes us through the process of redesigning the new Earth space dock. The project started in December of 2013 and is now almost finished. They explored a few different options and ideas, but after many discussions and rough drafts, it was decided that there would be one main floor other than the mezzanine and the basement, which is needed for foundry missions and sketchy meetups. Oh, and by the way, the basement looks a lot less creepy now, so good job on that. They also made sure there would be a view of both the shipyard and Earth, so its new location is near the outer wall of the docking bay. There are some amazing pics of this in the dev blog, or you can always log into the Tribble server to see it for yourself. There's also a very cool time-lapse video that was posted on the forums and linked to in the dev blog that shows a good chunk of the progress. So what do you guys like most about the new ESD? I am very excited about the new changes to the costumes of the people roaming around Space Dock. Have you guys seen that? What costume? All the uh, NPCs in the Earth Space Dock on Tribble now have a uh, revamped uniform. It's a variation on the Odyssey uniform from the Fleet Starbase, and they all match. I like the water. I like playing in the water, running through. There's a lot of water in it this time. Lots of water noises. You know, the if there's something that Taco Fangs does really well is that he really knows how to engage the community. So the fact that he took a screenshot and then gifted that all together uh, for the community to see the the evolution of what it takes to build yeah not just one it was it was all parts of earth space talk that he created it was a really nice touch so uh so yes a big uh big shout out to uh taco fangs great job nick as, as always just impressing the community i'm a big fan of the that that beautiful environment that feels like star trek right it, the i i think i may have said this before that you know sometimes the art that we have seen in the game seems like it was 
used from like previous assets that they might have had, and they tried really hard uh, to make it look like Star Trek. And I'm sure new environments were created, but this this revamp, I'm, it feels like a Federation Earth space dock, right? Not only are you seeing, not only is it just smooth and sleek and beautiful, but you have these small nuances like seeing a sovereign class ship fly by in the in in uh, uh, near the shipyard and and shuttles coming in and out. It, it's just it really helps with the immersion and i think that uh players new and old are really going to enjoy their experience on earth on earth space dock it seems like a really fun place to hang out i think it goes with the style of the origin bridge and the new tutorial corridors and all that too so it's kind of a seamless experience for new players coming in they do their first mission they experience that environment and i have been using the origin bridge on my galaxy x by the way i really like it and then go to this new space dock that is designed with that same aesthetic in mind. All right, Captains, in Season 9, Dev Blog number 14, Systems Designer Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski introduces players to the coming changes to Raiders in Star Trek Online. So here's some news for you Klingon Warriors. Striking enemies' rear quadrant will equal in a plus 25% additional damage bonus, but it is significantly reduced against real-life players. Uh, they have increased hull hit points uh, by 10%, uh, and, but a full list of the ships being affected by the changes can be found on the dev blog on the official Star Trek Online website. It's a long list, Captain, so be sure to trek that out. Yeah, really, essentially seems to be every bird of prey, including fleet and retrofit, right? Yes. I'm glad they're doing something for the Klingons. Well, this is something that they've been talking about for a while, if I'm not mistaken, when the uh, Breen? Yeah, the Plesh Breck. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, this is this has been something that we've been waiting for since December. Uh, and uh, so it's a welcome change. Welcome welcome, ad- welcome upgrade. In Season 9, Dev Blog number 15, content designer and previous guest of the show, Kate Bankson, offers players a prelude to the new featured episode. Coming with Season 9's release, Surface Tension. In it, she reveals that all sides are fighting for control of the Janolan Dyson Sphere, and Tim Russ reprises his role as Admiral Tuvok to help ease the tensions. In the blog, Kate also hints at some of the rewards players will earn upon completing the mission, including new traits for ground and space, specific to fighting the Undine, profession-specific counter-command kits as part of the kit revamp, and a counter-command tactical console part of the four-piece set we discussed earlier. So that's nice that they're adding these rewards at the end of the mission. I just, uh, you know, I have no doubt in Kate's abilities to create a mission. I mean, her the last featured missions that she's made are, have been fantastic. I'm just, you know, it's it's going to be another four or five times to rerun the mission. I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, I wonder if this one will be groupable because most of the featured episodes associated with seasons you haven't been able to take as a group. Uh, another concern we've had and that we've discussed is that we haven't been able to use our own ships in some of these engagements and you know we all spend a lot of time building our ships so unless we end up flying an undine ship in this mission i don't know but that you know that's a great point i mean in in all these featured episodes we've had to spend the time in familiarizing ourselves with these new ships uh and for especially when you have to replay the mission it's nice to just be able to use your own ship and You'll know you'll know what to expect, and you'll know what you'll be able to handle, and you don't have to learn any new powers. Albeit the you know like the Tuvok power and it was great, was super fun. The Wharf power was super fun, 
Um, it'd be nice if maybe they came onto our ship and, you know, took, uh, took a station and, and, but yeah, we're looking forward to the mission. Kate Bankson does some amazing work, uh, with those. And, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to, to, to progressing the story with a Kate Bankson mission. Jadua Ross, content designer for STO, offers a very clean overview of the new Borg mission arc that was remastered for season nine. A good chunk of this was teased by lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera in last week's episode, but the blog is certainly worth checking out. And be sure to let us know your thoughts of the new mission arc in time for next week's episode. So let us know once uh, it is released on the 22nd, or if you've had the opportunity of playing it on Tribble, uh, because the missions are live on Tribble, uh, let us know your thoughts on the remastered missions. I kind of miss the Q mission. That was fun. I mean, it was somewhat fun. I mean, yeah, it was a little, it was fourth wall breaking, but it was, it was very enjoyable. Right. You, it was, you, you went back in time to Wolf 359, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that mission was. Yeah, yeah. He sends you back in time to fight the Borg, uh, and you're witnessing everything that happened at uh, Wolf 359. You know, it was, it was... A, definitely a lore mission. You know, you got to experience a bit of it. I don't know how I feel about them removing that one. I guess we'll just have to find out. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to play through the new storyline because it looks really cool, but uh, we'll see. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. In a retweet by Green Dragoon, Star Trek alum Garrett Wong has confirmed or leaked <laughs> that he will be reprising the role of Harry Kim in Star Trek Online sometime in August, according to the tweet. Yes. Is he still an ensign? <laughs> mm, well, well, it has only been, he'd, he'd only be about sixty at this point. So right, right, right. He can at least become lieutenant. Well, according to the Star Trek Online tie-in novel, "The Needs of the Many," Harry Kim is now the first officer of Starbase Eleven. So, if you read that novel, he is part of it, and uh, but you know he's still only first officer at at sixty. So good for him. Good for him. Yay! We're so taking taking one for the team more times than anyone else, and still an ensign. So yeah, I can only imagine the mad dash that people were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe he said that." So perfect. Somebody at Perfect World definitely ran out of their office or cryptic or cryptic. Somebody screamed or somebody stood up in the middle of the room and yelled, Garrett Wong just spoiled season 10! Fire everyone! <laughs> that wraps up SDO News for this week. Let's get to part two of our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. All right, and we're back with Al Rivera, the designer on Star Trek Online, and we're going to get to some community questions here now. Uh, we're going to go all over the place. This is going to be complete uh, grab bag, potluck, random stuff. Normally, what I would do is try to psychically answer them, but I've been told by the management that I'm not allowed to do that anymore. So we're just going to go <laughs> you straight. You should have seen that coming. Though. I should have seen that coming. I actually I did see it coming. So. <laughs> but I just kept plowing on regardless. Uh, wait, I had I waited for them to make me stop. Okay, here we go. Can I take the first one? Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Pace W asks, and this is a direct quote, Next lockbox, what is it? Please don't hurt me. <laughs> I can't tell you what the next lockbox I figured is. that, but I had to ask it because it was so well written. And it was, yeah. like, <laughs> all, it was in all caps, too. So. Those, 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 some, some things are just really kind of covered, kind of this uh, uh, protected by the marketing veil, you know, how they want to 
announce certain things. The lockbox is one of them, but uh, so yeah, I can't talk about that. But you won't have to wait long. All right. Uh, Jake Galloway asks, will the next feature episode release live with Season 9 launch? And I'm going to add a corollary to that. Are we going to go back to doing the whole sneaky day early thing? I mean, releasing the episode earlier? Like, you know, having oh. the patch go live a day early? Oh, whether or not the patch goes, the whole the whole, the whole season goes, if, if I told you it wouldn't be sneaky. So Well, that's why we have you on. We want to be, <laughs> we, we want to know the sneaky things. Um, I, uh, I don't, uh, I don't. I don't think that they'll be releasing this one early. Okay. Um, the the Tuesday Tuesday's a good time. I think that uh, it probably. When did, when was January thirtieth? Why did we do it that time? That one time. I think I think it might have been because. Let's see. The anniversary was on the thirtieth. No, it was a Thursday. They it's like it was a Wednesday a, Thursday thing. Yeah, they, yeah. They put it. It was a nice surprise. Uh, it, was it was really nice to have that. Yeah, I mean they 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 do that to not have too much load all at once right everyone's just waiting and waiting and waiting and just goes and then the experience for everyone is terrible so um but they do it all the time and people won't be a surprise so i guess there'll be something just kind of keep you guys on your toes um and uh, depending on the day this one is going out on a tuesday not usually a really busy day for us so uh considering you know compared to like a thursday or a weekend so they probably will probably go out that day but honestly i it's not something that uh, that that I it was a surprise to me. So that they yeah we're gonna do it a day early. Oh, okay, cool. That sounds cool. Oh. So, not something that I uh, it's it's more of an operations kind of thing. All right. I uh, we heard in from Orangeitis and he's curious. Uh, is there anything specific we should save our Zen for? Anything specific you should save your Zen for? No, you should spend it all. Spend it all. <laughs> <laughs> See, um, there every time we release. Um, New uh, new seasons or expansions. There will always be things to you know because to, to to spend your zen on because that is when we have the most people playing and so um, that is when we have the most opportunity to to uh, to uh, to sell to sell stuff to you. So yeah, there will be there will be stuff to uh, there will be stuff to sell and buy and there'll be lots of dilithium you're going to want to get. You might want to buy some dilithium for for things. So. Um, There'll be a new lockbox, and but I don't. There, there will not be. We're not launching a new. We're not launching a new ship with season nine. It's just whatever's in the lockbox. So. And as a general rule, there's no reason to save your Zen. You should spend it all right now. Just spend it right now. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. And Actually, we don't usually launch. We don't usually launch a ship with a lockbox because we don't want to. Com- they, they compete with each other, right? Oh, so right, right. Yeah. we'll launch a lockbox, and then the ship will come out later, and or vice versa, right? So there will be a lockbox with season nine. It's about time. It's the hitting, hitting that cadence. Speaking of spending Zen, I, I think um, I, there's going to be a few people that are wondering this. I have a couple of uh, trait respects and, and you know respect things that are going to be discontinued. What's going to happen to those ones that have already been purchased but haven't been consumed? Um, it, it is being it is being investigated. Um, I think that uh, they're. I I don't know what they have decided. Um, I believe that you can't get them anymore. If you can, I'm, I'd be surprised. But I, I know they want to stop selling them. Uh, so people don't get any more of them. They, uh, but they're 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 investigating how many there are out there and what they should do with them. So so maybe nothing will happen. Uh, maybe something. I wish I had a better answer for you, but I know it's being considered. Okay. All right, and we hear from uh, Captain H. Will there be a chance of putting the mirror event as a permanent fixture? No, we don't want it to be a permanent fixture. We have too many. 
PVEQs uh, on there, and and if they weren't tied directly to the rep system, I'd pull more of them out, and we probably will pull more of them out and turn them into events in oh, the future. Okay. Because we, it's 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 a good way if if you give there's a great there's a great uh, video if you go on YouTube. There's a great TED talk about choice, and everyone I I, I make everybody at work watch it and. And everyone, if you're interested, you should check it out. It's very interesting about the psychology of choice and how to sell things. Um, and um, and I think we we have at this we're at this point we have too many ships for sale and we have too many PVEQs for uh, available. And so you get a choice overload. There's just too much to choose from, and you don't know what to do. And so I think one thing we need to do is take our cues and put them into better categories, so you can easily kind of parse. It's a lot easier to see. Okay, what's available for the, you know, for my Undine reputation, and said, "Okay, mm-hmm. these are right. things that will help you." So you can you can parse categories much more easily than you can a giant list of things to to have access to. But um, we don't need the mirror event in there, the mirror queue in there. We've got enough queues available, and having it available as an event makes it really special. And okay, now is the event. Now everyone everyone likes it. They they want to play it. Great. I'm glad to hear that they want it. They like it so much that they want to, they want it. We would take the crystalline entity out, uh, out entirely, uh, except that there's not enough content for new Kara marks. So, um, if I could, I would take that out. So, um, I'd like to find a replacement for new Kara uh, marks, so that way we could take the crystalline entity, so it's only available during during its event time. Um, so, so that way we can concentrate people, because uh, the more we have, the more people are just split up, and so it's nice to flip your queue. Via Facebook, uh, Charles Halpenny asks. Why make more queued group content instead of soloable dailies like in the new Romulus, Tefiri, and Ed Aradeni sector? Uh, instead of soloable dailies, uh, which ones? Is, which ones he's referring to? You well, if you remember the, the old Deferi, Deferi stuff? remember the old yeah. Deferi stuff, you could just you just uh, jump in and do those three sets of missions. Um, yeah, got be pretty good dilithium rewards. Well, I mean, out of that. And you can I take mean, an hour and go by yourself. Well, I mean, I think we 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 do both, right? I mean, so that's the the I mean. I guess I mean that's what the the featured episodes are for. Um, if you want, looking for like re- like a solo STF, I think that's sort of the, the thrust yeah. of the of the mission. You know, I, I want I want to go play a challenging piece of content, but I don't want to have to wait for it to queue. I don't want to wait for the engage button to show up. And if I turn my head because my parrot is making too much noise and I miss the engage button, I got to go back into the queue and wait for another group of people. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, but, but, but not a mission is what he's asking for, right? I mean, I guess the Ferris stuff is kind of, is kind of like that. Uh, the, uh, some of the stuff on Uramis is like that. I mean, I think we, we, we introduced some of that really with the, with the ground battle zone, right? As far as, I mean, it's your, playing with other people but you're technically solo it's the same thing with our space battle zone right i mean you could go to the space battle zone and you could play solo you don't have to play with other people the content actually scales based on how many how many people are around so um so so we kind of have that now as far as actually hang on i want to ask i want to clarify that real quick so if i'm in a battle zone by myself I can I could complete the battle zone myself theoretically. Well, you probably won't be able to complete the whole battle zone because you'll never be able to do it fast enough to, uh, well, to hold all the points. Right, but that's right? that's his question though. But I, you will I be could. able. But you will be able to participate in there, and you can do one point, and other people could do one point, right? So. Oh, but then I need other people. 
You do need other people, but you don't have to yeah. talk to them. <laughs> that, but see, that's the problem with Star Trek Online. Well, you just, We've had you your... can just log in. You can just log in and you can play, right? Like I logged in and other people were taking another point on the other side of the map. This is okay. Well, I won't go there because I want to play with them. I'm just going to take this point by myself. And so, yeah, it's kind of like solo and a half. I mean, it's uh, not okay. really solo, okay. but it's not really group content. You don't have to queue up. You don't have to play with other people. Um, but other people are affecting things that you were doing. So it's solo and a half. Um, but um, uh, so it would be no. interesting to have a queue event that's not a mission that you could play over and over again. It, it starts to get a little gray. I'm not sure exactly what's the difference between something that I could solo and play and queue by myself. Um, but it's not a mission. What, is, what, what technically would be the difference other than the rewards? Well, I think that's think? really where I think. Well, I think that's where the thrust of the question goes. Is like I want to go get my marks. I want to go do my reputation things I need to do. But I want to do this. I want to do it just by myself. I don't have to depend on anybody else to. So get it's really about the. It's really about the rewards to get the marks. You want yeah, to do your reputation I, solo. It's not yes. because you don't have enough solo content. Right. It's, okay. it's, it's because and it just. I think maybe the thrust of the question is just an option where it's. I don't depend on other people i can log in at three o'clock in the morning when no one else is on and well if you're just about getting marks i mean you can you can get your mark solo in both in both the un, the you know in the dyson you know dyson rep and in the undine rep by doing you know the 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 dyson uh adventure you know the the, the the inside inside the sphere the space the space uh, adventure zone as well as the ground adventure zone and now the ground the space battle zone for the Undine rep, so it's mostly soloable, and you can kind of, you know, if you're in the Dyson sphere, you can, you know, fly around and pick up all kinds of little marks of little little found missions everywhere. Um, but the idea is—I'm uh, not trying to dismiss it because I—I I, I think it's an interesting one to just have more more solo ways to get to get uh, to get marks, and we actually have added some as an experiment to. Um, to, uh, for instance, when you play the new featured episode, the first time you play, you will get some marks. And we actually added marks to the, you can get Omega marks from the end of the new remastered board Ah, arc. another so, reason to go play that. Okay. So yeah, you'll get some Omega marks in there. But currently, it's only the first time you play. It's not repeatable. Oh, okay. I, I kind of was thinking about, why don't we just make it repeatable? Um, but, uh, but we were a little shy about doing that. Generally, I think I think the concern is just people finding exploits. If you put it in certain places, and it's just that much easier to just to just get it. Um, as long as we can ensure that it is it is time for time for rewards are are there. As long yeah. as it's on that curve, as long as it's on yeah. the time for reward curve, then yeah, I, then, then then I'm generally okay with it. People are yeah. playing and they're enjoying it and they're perfectly fine. I don't care what they play. Okay, right? as long as they're having fun and they're not and not exploiting it and finding some loophole to that. And sometimes with it's a little harder to do that. With group content, it is with solo content, but I I don't I don't think that that's a real reason for us not to do it. So okay, um, I'll keep it in mind and uh, see if we can come up with more of that in the future. All right, well, good. Uh, switching gears to the Foundry, we received uh, several questions from folks like the Grand Nagus, Blue Dragon seventy seven. Really, the Grand Nagus had a question about the Foundry. He did. Can you believe that? This is my surprise <laughs> face. Can, is that coming through on my radio? This is my surprise face. Oh yeah, it's I coming think, in loud and I clear. You know what? It's, it's for me. It's like looking into a mirror. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're all wondering: uh, Will there be any updates? Will the Neverwinter features be ported over? You know, the standard questions. Is there any update you can give us? And we're right. going to keep asking. 
Yeah, you can keep asking. Um, and, and, and you know, we, we've answered it before, and Stephen Daniels asked it before. Where um, Foundry is not one of the bigger focuses of Star Trek Online right now. It's just not what what is a focus is 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 we do want to continue to fix bugs for it, and we are fixing bugs. And and unfortunately, um, you know, our Foundry time, a lot of our Foundry time, just got eaten up by another exploit. People found another exploit and was not only were they exploiting, but they were flaunting it. And they're going on Reddit talking about, ha-ha, you'll never stop us, and no one's going to do anything about it. Well, we're doing something about it. And But thank you for wasting everybody's time. So so now we have to spend all our Foundry time fixing this other stupid exploit um, Al, that people... It's, yeah? it's just time to just pull the rewards. That's, that's the thing, is that we want to have... It just is. I just, that's, that's what you want to do, right? I, I want to add more rewards to it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I want to turn it to a reputation. Right? I that would be reputation. That would be super awesome, but it just and we wanted to put XP into it and all these kinds of things. It's time but, to yeah, pull the rewards. It's just time to pull the rewards out. And until you know what? Do you, is, do you know what kind of revolt I would have in my hand if I pulled the rewards from there? From who? From the exploiters? From no, from people who the non-exploiters. It's my missions exploiters. aren't being played as it is. You, I, you it's get not, it's not whether not lithium from playing my missions because they're long story content missions that are beautiful and I, 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 I made them all nice and pretty and everything. I made YouTube trailers for it. Nobody plays them. They're not being played now. I, well, it's 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 not rewards. That, it's not that yours aren't being played. People play a lot of Foundry content. They still do, right? Um, because they they're trying to blow up on EC farms and stuff. like Well, that. no, they're. It's not just it's the people who are playing Foundry content are not just exploiters. I mean, not they're, just they're, exploiters. No, but people, there are there there are some exploiters who are doing it. It's a, yeah, it's actually small. a small number of people comparatively who play actually who actually play the Foundry. But you know, we we. The Foundry is a good is a good source for for unlimited content, and um, it's uh, and and more people would play Foundry if there were more rewards in it. it. Just they just would. That's I mean that's the main reason why people you know only play certain certain queues is because they're going to find the easiest thing for the most amount of rewards. And so if they've got a good source of rewards, they're going to play that content. Right. Um, so the le- if I pull things away out of it, they're going to play. They'll play less of it, and that's not what we want. So we 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 keep we keep chasing that dragon, and um, uh, so we'll we'll, we'll I, I don't think it's necessary to pull the rewards out. I don't uh, I don't think that it's necessary to upset people and have more people you know have people just just refuse to play anymore. I don't think that's going to help. It's going to help anybody, um, but it does it does uh, it does distract our time. It would give you that time. It would give you that time to. To, to hunt down would, all the exploits. Would, yes, if uh, if 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 we didn't have to waste a lot of time with exploits, then we'd have more time to do to de- to develop other things. So. Well, and I'm um, even curious, like, what's stopping you from doing the the foundry reputation system? Because some of the exploits might be irrelevant if you gated it to where, you know, you can only earn no, you know X amount of things per yeah. day anyway. Yeah, just gate. Yeah. Um, because people, because however we would do the foundry would be. Would be uh, how we do a foundry rep would be based on um, time playing foundry and how much you could earn and people would find ways to to uh, to earn more than we want them to um, and that's what they're doing now they're earning way too much dilithium by by, by finding a loophole well and that, so, that's I, again I, I just I'm with Skiffy just import the thing into the foundry and you put all those uh, draconian. I'm going to use that word in quotation marks. Draconian cooldowns on everything. So that if you want to keep playing Foundry, you only get ten marks for your second and third and fourth missions. You know, whatever, because they're just short middle missions. 
I'm not against doing it. I want to do it, but it's not. It's just too. It's not stable or secure enough. So, um, it's. Uh, um, let me let me ask let me ask you this instead. Um, you know, one of our one of some of our listeners have basically said, you know what, I I'm gonna I would love to rank up, just using the foundry. You know, I, I I've I've played the the storyline content. I've gone yeah. through it. What uh, where where would the exploit be on XP? I mean, do, you know, you just get another level fifty tune. I mean, is that bad? Well, is it is it? It's 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 gray, right? It's yeah. gray. Is it bad? I mean, should we just let you buy a level fifty character, or, or should we uh, should we just make the level up curve faster? I mean, there's 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 to some point that we 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 don't wanted to uh to uh you know i mean you could make an argument well maybe you can only earn it on alts so i mean there's different things you can do i'm not really opposed to you know caring about whether or not somebody uh levels up through foundry and i actually would love it if they want to just level up through the foundry i don't have a problem with that philosophically but um you know we don't want you know exploits are just are just bad for the game they get it they get a bad experience they create a bad experience for themselves and they blame they, they blame the game for not being fun so, <laughs> yeah. right, and so, so if if we, if we end up, if players can, I've always wanted to do an experiment with an MMO where users could kind of vote their way into power, right? If they want more damage on something, they could vote for more damage, and then mm. curious to see how quickly the game would be destroyed within a matter of days or weeks. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I you just like, spilled well, the secret project that, uh, that uh, Stall's working yeah, on. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I could I could talk to you all day about Foundry. We'll we'll move on. Um, it's those years. I'll I'll take it on. I'll take the next one. Uh, we had a question from Matt Miracle. He wants to let you know, Al. Thanks for no new fleet holding this time around. We may actually get the star base to tier four this time as well as finish the spire. But he also says wants to know if there's one plan for after season nine's released or it's one plan for April twenty two and we just don't know about it yet. Um. I don't think we're going to be getting a new fleet holding for probably until uh, until um, season ten. Um, we probably won't get one. We'd hope to get one in uh, in expansion two, but I don't I don't think we're we're going to have time for it. Okay. So we'll probably probably look forward to seeing a uh, seeing that in uh, in season ten. So. Okay. All right. So we were in fleet holdings. We're kind of uh, in a holding pattern on fleet holdings. Then. Yes, we're on a fleet holding pattern. Here. Okay. Okay. Sticking with fleet content, uh, are there any plans in store for small fleets? I know we keep asking the question, but uh, uh, plans yes, and I don't strategies have, are always I, changing. I have no solution for for small fleets right now. I, 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 I there there's there's nothing there's nothing on the uh, uh, in the immediate future. For addressing that issue, uh, I know ideas like alliances, uh, fleet alliances, have floated around. Is that maybe still on the table in the future? I'm not opposed to any feature, but I, I don't, I don't know what that what that means. You know, as far as you can join an alliance, um, what, what does that what does that do for you? Everybody gets to contribute to everybody's fleet, but you kind uh, of. I mean, I think the idea that I've always had in mind is that, you know, some of these larger fleets are now, you know, capped out or pretty darn close to it, and their members, you know, the larger fleets, their members are struggling to get fleet credits, so they're dumping all their resources into those, uh, you know, wasteful, you know, 30-minute projects just to get... Yeah, we're, we're looking we're looking at, do, at making other projects so people can to, so you don't have to do the, uh, the, you don't have to do the small projects of, uh, to get, um, to get, the, uh, to get the 
yeah, what, what, what is it? The, um, the fleet credits. Yeah. Not the credits, but the they're using the projects to get the uh, they get the, the uh, I, oh the, the provision name, the, uh, provisions. the provisions yeah. yeah okay in order to get their fleet credits and they want big projects to throw in a whole bunch of marks to get some fleet credits and well, so they, we're looking at adding a project like that. But instead of that, I think the idea would be if if the larger fleets could ally themselves with a couple of smaller fleets that are still leveling up then they mm -hmm. just have access to dump their resources into that fleet, get the credits for it, and the smaller fleet benefits from progress. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, then the smaller fleet doesn't get any of their fleet credits. <laughs> well, but, but they don't yeah, know. The small the small, ones are no, 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 a small fleet, yeah, a small fleet doesn't need any fleet credits. Yeah, they, I've I got mean, like I, four from, million yeah. credits. I'm in a fleet if of you're, four. Yeah, you're, if you're in a small fleet, you are over. You are credits coming out your ears. Yeah. You don't need credits. But so I here here's another pitch, and this is I have pitched this one to you before. I'm going to pitch it to you again. Have a project where it's like a trade shipment that flies from the big fleet to the small fleet, and it just dumps it into XP for the small fleet. So you get all the big fleet together with these huge packages of marks. It goes dumped in. The fleet leader transfers uh, the XP that the large fleet would have gotten to the small fleet. And that small it's fleet a, leader then just dumps it into a project at, at, at his starbase. Something similar. It, that's similar to what 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 uh, Skiffy just explained. It's just it's just the uh, it largely is using his project as a, uh, to to give XP to the small project versus the large fleet using the small fleet's projects to give XP to the small fleet's project. So um, effectively large fleet develop, uh, donating resources to give XP to the smaller smaller project uh, yes um, fleet so um, yeah I I don't uh, I, I I think that in order to do that we'd have to make sure that that the large fleet is really getting it's getting something out of it right uh, well, getting a, they're getting credits the, their members are had their members are able to get credits now right that's what they're getting out of it yeah, yeah there's that, a lot of that, them that Oh, yeah, is that do they need it? Do, yes. Do, do, yeah. Yeah. yeah they large do. fleets need large fleets need a place where their members can go dump a lot of things in to get fleet credits. Small fleets they are, have fleet credits out the ears, and they need no more. What they need is fleet XP so they can rank up their star base. So that that that's that is a that is a uh, an economic imbalance that's been persisting since the launch of the star base system. Well, I've been very a, lucky. Yeah. I've been very, very lucky to have a couple friends in larger fleets, and they're topped out, and they're like, hey, can I leave my fleet, come to yours, dump in stuff to get credits, and then go back to my big fleet? And that's worked, but it's it's just such a... It's, a, it's a clunky it's workaround. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's aberrant workaround. Yeah. Well, th th those are those are some really neat ideas. I, 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 I like those thoughts, and I'll uh, I'll bring them back to... And, uh, and, uh, and you don't need to make any mechanical changes or any extra holdings. It's just the, an additional project. It's just a project for the large. Well, I, I think it's, I, I think it's underestimating that how many mechanical changes would have to be made there in order to access somebody else's fleet and transfer that data there. It's uh, it wouldn't be. It's not just not a matter of just adding a project, which is pure data. There would be code involved in a system like that. But it doesn't sound unreasonable. All right. Uh, one thing that keeps coming up over and over again: a pet bag. Can we have a pet bag, please? You know, it's actually come up, and I think it's uh, I, I think it's a uh, something that could happen in the future. We don't have anything uh, currently being developed for it, but uh, but we are we are looking at, for instance, with the crafting revamp of having a separate crafting bag, right? Ah, so okay. you don't, and so so you don't have to carry all your anomalies with your with your regular uh, with your regular loot, and and you know, crafting resources are really lightweight. Because they have no powers on them, they're just an empty right. item, right. and so so we can actually have more of those 
Um, so if we pursue that route now, pets aren't pets have a power. It is a power to summon a pet, so they're heavier weight than that. But uh, but but it has come up as whether or not yeah maybe we should, we could we could do this. But for instance, if we did, it probably would be a lim it's still a limited bag, while a crafting bag could be un unlimited because there's right. almost there's nothing just, there. Yeah. There's nothing there. Well, uh, this is the point where we open it up to you, Al. Is there anything that we haven't squeezed out of you? Is there anything that we, you just got to get off your chest and you really have to tell us right now? Uh, no, I, th I, I did. Uh, we talked a lot about season about uh, season nine. You asked uh, for a moment about ships. I don't. Uh, there's no new ships yeah. coming out with season nine, but there are a couple ships planned for uh, for shortly for shortly after that. Um, and uh, and although and of course uh, you're going to tell us all about that right now. <laughs> no? Oh, no, no. I mean, there's a couple. This is my of them, surprise face. A couple of them are uh, are just some some low end ships. Um, mm. So, um, some, one of them one of them uh, leaked out for a little while. You know, the constellation. Uh, yeah, was, yeah, that uh, an unfortunate bug. Yeah. Well, that was a uh, we have we got we had a new ship artist came to the company and that was his uh, his his his. His tutorial ship to do to work on <laughs> was the constellation. So uh -huh. so we have that available, and we'll probably we'll, we'll uh, that'll come. That's not like a big that's not like a huge deal, but I kind of want to. I kind of uh, Tom, Thomas uh, Thomas the cat has suggested that we release it with uh, Captain Picard Day. So oh, uh, Captain Picard Day. Okay. Yeah. So okay. so so maybe so if we have the right if we have uh, if timing is right, then uh, maybe we'll release that with Captain Picard Day. Um, but we're all planning on a new ship uh, that hopefully come out, you know, in uh, maybe a, a month or so. Um, a new, that's a Federation ship, and I still want to get the. Um, I think uh, maybe if we can get the um, uh, Negvar refit, and the, uh, yeah, along with that, and we also st I also still got to get the. Uh, still got to get a fleet Garumba out there. That shouldn't take too long, but we're working on a lot of ships right now for expansion two. So. Ship okay. resources are really, are really thin because we're we're, we're loading up for uh, for expansion two and and that's going to be a very very. That's do you guys have three ship deal. artists now? We currently have three ship artists. Wow, that's well, we had fun. yeah. I mean, we, we had, had two for a while. We had two for a while. Yeah. So recently, recently, just recently, had a third. Are there any plans still? You'd mentioned in the past you wanted to get a broadsider, and I think at one point you were talking about an Andorian broadsider. Yeah, we got really far with doing that, but uh, um, but it got held because the the real the, the real the real problem is uh, is effects, because the idea is to have a broadsider that can um, shoot cannons, you know, on port and starboard side. Right. But the uh, all the all the cannons, and not just cannon, but Cannon and the cannon rapid fire and scatter volley version of those; those are all separate effects. Um, have to be modified so they use a different set of effects nodes. So they, because right now they only work on cannon nodes, which are, which are, uh, uh, you know, there's outer cannon nodes and inner cannon nodes for basically for heavy cannons and small and regular dual cannons. Now there'll be a whole different array of port and starboard. Port and starboard one, port and starboard two, port and starboard three, port and starboard four, because oh. they'll be, they'll yeah. be, they'll, they'll be I, different. So, so now all of those of have to be manually, manually updated with just typing that in. I'm a so, fan. I'm a fan of moving that up on the list because I use turrets on my Audi, and the scatter volley just looks funny. So, <laughs> uh, so if you can make that yeah, happen, I yeah. I don't, 
Tur yeah. All the turrets fire from one point. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. It looks goofy. So, you know, I'm a fan of this move. Let's let's get this done. Let's. It's let a big uh, it's a big effects task. So let's uh -huh. let's let's ram this one through, Al. Let's let's get right. that one done. Move that up on the sticky note. Move it up on the whiteboard. Just you know, a couple three notches. Let's do it. No, I don't see why that wouldn't happen now because. Because you said that. Oh, good. See, <laughs> wonderful. I, 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 we should do this more often. We really should. <laughs> and we really should, Al. But uh, as always, thanks for stopping by. We really appreciate it, and uh, always love having you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Hail Hydra. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, captains. Take out your notepad. Professor Jace presents his field notes to help you get the most out of your gameplay. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. All right, captains, welcome to a brand new installment of Field Notes. We're going to do something a little bit different this time with Field Notes. Hopefully the start of something new and to us, and hopefully to you as well, exciting, where we are going to tackle some basic topics in depth, as well as working in some of the latest changes to the game as they come out. We're going to start off by tackling the topic of defense, which is relevant to all captains, regardless of class, regardless of ship type, and regardless of your preferred role. Everyone needs to defend themselves at least to some extent in order to survive and play their role in an encounter. So this will most likely be a three-part series. This is part one, the captain, and I'm going to talk about captain powers, traits, and skills as they pertain to defense. Part two will be the ship, including the ship and its equipment. Part three will be the crew, focusing mostly on bridge officers and duty officers. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start off with your captain abilities. All captains have abilities that they gain as they level. Some of these are universal to all captains, regardless of class. Some are specific to your chosen specialty, whether that be tactical, engineering, or science. We'll start off with captain abilities that are universal. Two of these are useful in defense. I use them constantly, almost whenever they're off cooldown. The first is evasive maneuvers, which while it gives you a speed boost and a turn rate boost, which are very helpful as I fly cruisers, which are somewhat ponderous at times, it also gives a boost to defense. So it causes a flat reduction to the chance that enemies will be able to hit you, which is fantastic. Any attack that misses obviously deals no damage, so that is of great value. The second ability is Brace for Impact. This is going to give you kinetic resistance, so it will help you resist damage from incoming torpedoes. So you can hit this when you see it coming. Uh, it also gives resistance to your crew being killed or disabled. So it will reduce the impact to your crew of taking torpedo hits. I found this necessary in uh, Mirror Invasion Elite, for example, when the Typhoon battleships or the Dreadnought at the end would fire its torpedo spreads. If I was not at maximum health, I needed that brace for impact to weather even through my shield, which are resilient shields, which we'll talk about next time, and thus have a lower bleed through of damage to the hull still would take heavy damage from these torpedo spreads. So Brace for Impact, fantastic. All captains get it. Make sure you have it hotkeyed or on your bar. Same with evasives, very useful. Both of them are excellent powers. So now we're going to look at some of the specialty powers. Tactical will address first. They have the fewest defensive-related powers, as uh, tactical captains tend to believe that the best defense is a good offense. 
which I can't argue with. I have two tactical characters. I certainly enjoy doing mad DPS, if you will. The first is Tactical Initiative. Now this is more of an indirect power. It reduces the cooldowns on all your tactical bridge officer abilities. So we'll really look at this more later, but the main thing here is that it'll reduce the cooldown on your tactical team, which now no longer shares a cooldown with engineering or science team, and helps with balancing your shields when you're being fired upon. It redirects shield power to whatever facing is currently being fired on. So being able to use that as much as possible is great. But again, we'll come back to that more when we talk about tactical bridge officer abilities. Tactical initiative though, almost always you're gonna to wanna to use it when it's off cooldown. It's just gonna reduce all your tactical bridge officer cooldowns, which is good for any tactical captain. Tactical fleet is gonna add, among other things, plus to maneuvers and plus to defense to your entire group. That's gonna benefit your entire team and help them get hit less often by enemies. Another thing that really, there's no reason not to use it almost at every opportunity. Engineering captains get the most defensive abilities. These are your heavy tanking captains if you want to go that route. One great quality of Star Trek Online is that any captain can fill any role, but engineers do it better. Engineers have rotate shield frequencies, which gives them shield regeneration and reduced damage to shields. EPS power transfer, which boosts all power levels, including shield power, so I do still consider it relevant for defense. Nadion inversion, which gives a resist to power drain. This is another little bit indirect ability. This is so enemies who have power draining attacks can't reduce your shield strength through that method. Miracle worker, this is, a, this is the crown jewel of the engineering captain. I love this as an engineer. Hit point and shield regen and repairs your disabled subsystems. This is a huge boost. It really is the Scotty power. It's your oh crap button, your oh shillelagh button if you're Elijah. This is gonna get you out of a pinch. And finally, engineering fleet, which gives your whole team damage resistance, a power levels boost, and a hull repair boost. So you can see here that engineers have a mix of both hull and shield healing abilities, some of which they can share with their whole group. Really flexible, really versatile. Science captains get more than tactical, but fewer than engineering. You have sensor scan, which gives an improved stealth detection, another indirect defensive power. I'm not really gonna talk about stealth detection a lot in, in this defensive series, but I did think it was worth mentioning. Second is scattering field. This is an area effect energy damage resist. So this is gonna assist yourself and any team members or allied ships within three kilometers will gain a resistance to energy damage. Now you can compare or contrast this with Brace for Impact, which specifically gives you kinetic resist. This is talking about your beams, your cannons, your turrets. Then Science Team gives a shield strength boost, power drain resistance, like we saw with Nadion Inversion for Engineers, and shield damage resistance to your entire team. Another team boost. So everybody has a team boost. Tactical is the least defensive, although it still does give that defense bonus. Engineer and science just have a slightly different focus. The engineering gives damage resistance, power level boost, hull repair boost. Science gives shield strength, power drain resist, shield damage resistance to the group. So those are your captain powers. 
as they pertain to defense. Obviously, everybody has some other powers as well, but those are either more offensive or more utilitarian powers, and as such, they'll be the subject of a future episode. So having talked about your basic innate captain powers, starting at the top, right? So first thing you do is you create your captain. These are the powers you're going to get as a captain. Now let's talk about traits. Again, these are your captain's traits. We'll talk about bridge officer traits when we talk about the crew. So all captains have certain traits that can help them with defense. The first is astrophysicist. This gives a plus 10 to sensors. This is going to help defend you against placate and confuse effects. These are much more widespread in PvP. You can probably get away without this in PvE. The second is efficient captain. This is going to give a plus 30 to your warp core efficiency. This is going to boost all your power levels, including your shield power. This is especially important if you expect to be running some of your power levels at a low rating, because the boost that this gives is greater the lower the current uh, default power level is of that subsystem. So if you're a tactical captain running with full power to weapons, secondary power to engine, you run light on shields and auxiliary, this is going to give you a big boost on shields and auxiliary power and a lesser boost on those other two systems. However, it is still going to be a bonus to all your power levels. Elusive trait gives plus 10% defense straight up. Can't really argue with it. This is going to be a straight reduction from your enemy's accuracy. Depending on what your enemy's base accuracy, your end result of this, stat-wise, against a particular opponent may be more or less than a 10% boost, but regardless, it's a fantastic power worth slotting on any character potentially, and it's just going to reduce the number of hits that strike you, which there's nothing better, right? It's like dodging. Techie gives a plus 30 to hull repair skill, so you're going to get back hull strength at a greater rate, which is good because there used to be more ways to get hull repair, like stacking the leadership trait on bridge officers, which doesn't work the same way anymore. Um, the two-piece Borg set bonus of like the deflector and the engine, for example, which has been normalized. It used to have a disproportionately high effect on ships like cruisers, where they'd get a lot of hull repair, and that wasn't really as intended, so that's being reduced. So boost to hull repair is great wherever you get it from. Warp Theorist. This is going to be a plus 10 to your warp core efficiency. It does also give you other benefits. I'm just referring to the defense bonus it gives. Also going to help your power levels just like efficient, just to a lesser degree because it gives other boosts as well. Looking at traits that are unique to captain classes, tactical captains get crippling fire. This allows anytime you critically hit to possibly inflict an accuracy penalty on your enemy that stacks up to three times. So. This is a perfect example. This is your best defense is a good offense. You crit your enemy, they have less of a chance to hit you. It's almost like you are crippling their weapon systems or their targeting systems by striking them with critical hits. Pretty cool. And last ditch effort. This gives a plus 100 damage resist bonus to the go down fighting power, which is pretty nice. If you're using go down fighting, it means you're already below 50% hull strength. So having an additional damage resistance at the same time that you're getting a big boost to your damage output is pretty useful because you're only going to generate more threat if you're using go down fighting. 
engineers get EPS manifold efficiency. With EPS manifold, your emergency power to a subsystem powers have a chance, a 10% chance to give you a plus 10 to all power levels. This is a great ability for engineers. I definitely have it on mine. It's gonna boost all your subsystems. And I, I use emergency power abilities constantly, either shields, weapons, or engines or auxiliary, depending on which ship and what captain I'm on. So you, I'm never not gonna be getting a benefit from this. And as we'll get into with bridge officer powers, I'm gonna recommend some of the emergency power abilities uh, to almost everyone. Last is Grace Under Fire, which resets the cooldown on Miracle Worker, basically if you take heavy damage in a short amount of time. It can only do this every minute and a half, but getting a second use of Miracle Worker is unbelievable when you need it. So again, I definitely took this power, strongly recommend it for an engineer that wants to be in the thick of things, taking heavy fire for his allies all the time. Or someone soloing who wants to bite off more they, than they can chew and see how much they can take at once. Like flying into Starbase 24 and just tanking all the neg bars you can pull. It's a lot of fun. Science captains, surprisingly, uh, do not have class specific traits from the free list that directly add to their defense. Romulans and Remans have some unique traits. Reman Infiltrator, which also gives bonuses to ambushing and such, additionally gives a defense bonus. So that's a worthwhile one if you are a Reman captain and would also like those other benefits, it will increase your defense, which again, just causing more misses. Let them with you. Finally, there are some lockbox traits, which are also available on the exchange. They're usually quite expensive, but they are sold on the exchange by people who've gotten them from lockboxes and didn't want or need them, or just want to make some money. The first is Inspirational Leader. That's available to all captains. All bridge officer abilities get the chance to add plus 10 to all your captain skills. So this is all captain skills, so it's obviously going to add to all your defensive, your hull repair, your shield strength. Every captain skill is going to get a bonus out of this. So that's a great ability, very universal, um, very general purpose. If you get that out of a lockbox or you, know, you find it on the exchange for a price you like, it's worth picking up. Finally, each captain class has a version of this class-specific trait, fleet physicist, tactician, or technician. Fleet physicist is for science captains and adds a shield heal over time ability to science fleet. Fleet tactician adds immunity to slowing effects, such as that from a chronoton torpedo, to tactical fleet. And fleet technician adds a hull heal over time to engineering fleet. So all of these are nice defensive abilities that get added to your already partially defensive captain-specific team boost. So another one that can be worthwhile, worth checking out. Finally, last but far from least, are captain skills. Now I want to start with a note about captain skills. When you're spending skill points on captain skills, you've got a 1 to 9 scale. So most folks probably already realize this, and it does display it, but it's not always clear-cut. Your first three points are going to get you the biggest return on investment at a plus 18 rating in that skill for each point. The next three points, points 4, 5, and 6, are going to give you a plus 10 for each point. And points 7, 8, and 9 are going to give you only plus 5 for each point. So your biggest boost is going to come from the first three. You're still going to get a pretty solid boost from the next three, but you'll get the least return 
from the final three. So any ability you find worthwhile at all, you're probably going to want to drop three points into. If it's something you feel pretty strongly about, put six points in, that's a great break point. And I would really only put nine points into something that is related to your captain's personal specialty, whether you want to be a tank or a healer or a controller or a pure damage captain. Those are where you're going to want to spend those extra points just to get the, the every last erg of power out of your capacitors or what have you. So we'll start with tactical captains again. The tactical related skills, and again, everybody gets access to all the skills. I'm just taking them basically in the order they appear on the skills screen. Tactical systems, there's only three that really directly relate to defense. That starship attack patterns, which is going to give you a boost to all your attack patterns. Some of your attack patterns do have defensive effects. We'll talk about that more when we get to bridge officer abilities, but this one can be worthwhile, really regardless of what attack patterns you choose to use. The next is Starship Maneuvers. That's another one that gives a straight up bonus to your defense. Very powerful ability. The last is Starship Threat Control. Now this increases your Starship Threat, which means enemies are going to hate you more. You may or may not consider this to be a good thing. Maybe you're a tactical captain and you figure you get so much hate anyway you don't care. Maybe you're an engineer or science that is playing a tank type character and you want to draw fire on you. Your mileage may vary, but it also increases your damage resistance. So it's a trade-off. It wouldn't necessarily be your top priority if you're a tactical captain in an escort, for example, or a science captain trying to zip around, throwing down gravity wells everywhere and, and mostly avoid detection, or maybe a KDF uh, stealth character that wants to be able to shoot and scoot. You might not want that level of attention. However, if you take it, it's also going to reduce the damage that you take. Engineering systems. Unsurprisingly, this has the most defense-related abilities. So you have starship batteries. This is going to improve your starship battery duration, including shield batteries, so worthwhile in that sense. Starship hull repair. Self-explanatory, it increases the rate you get your hull back. As I mentioned before, there are less and less ways to do that. Structural integrity, that's going to increase your hit points, your actual hull rating. Starship subsystem repair, this increases the rate at which your subsystems will come back online if disabled, especially bad if your shields or engines are disabled. Shields disabled, you're going to be taking damage to bare hull in the meantime. Engines disabled, you're dead in the water, you will no longer get that defensive bonus you get for moving, which we'll talk about more later, but you want to be moving at all times if possible. Starship Warp Core Efficiency. Bonus Starship Power when the power rating is low in that subsystem. That's what some of these prior traits added to. Worthwhile for most captains. How much you put in it may vary. Starship Warp Core Potential, which is a flat bonus to Starship Power to all subsystems. Great ability. Starship Hull Plating. This is going to improve your energy damage resistance as opposed to Starship Armor Reinforcements, which improves your kinetic damage resistance. So torpedoes and mines for kinetic energy for getting hit with cannons, turrets, beam, beam rays. Starship Shield Performance, just like with Structural Integrity, it's a straight up boost, in this case, to your shield power. Lastly, Science and Operation Systems. Just like up with Captain Powers, you have more than a tactical captain, but less than an engineer. But again, these abilities are available to all. Starship Shield Emitters, that's going to improve shield heals. 
Starship power insulators, that's a resist to energy and shield drain. Starship shield systems, improves your shield hit points, as opposed to your power rating. Subtle difference, we'll talk about more when we talk about shields. Starship inertial dampeners, this is a resist to holds, disables, knockbacks, like a, tra a tractor repulsor and a slow. Starship sensor, which it'll improve stealth detection, but it also gives you that confuse and placate resistance. Now, this is a lot all at once, but I want to give you a rundown of what captain abilities, whether it's your powers, your skills, or your traits, can assist in the defense of your starship. Now, rep traits will factor into this, traits from reputation, but we know this is still a work in progress, so I'll cover them in a supplement once season nine is out, and all those changes are finalized on holodeck. We've seen on Tribble that they've already gone through some changes and some reworks based on feedback. So if you have skin in that game, I recommend you get on Tribble, take a look at it, test it out, give your feedback on the forums. They are responding to that when offered. So in closing here, you can see that every captain, whether you're tactical, engineering, or science, has the potential to make a difference not only in their own defense, but in the defense of their entire team through judicious use of their abilities, traits and skills. So this is something you should take into account no matter how you're planning on playing. I know whether my first uh, Vice Admiral level character was flying his Defiant in ISE as, as a noob to nowadays flying a very uh, solid and durable Galaxy X Dreadnought. Defense is always something that I've taken into consideration because frankly no matter how much damage you do when you're dead you do zero DPS. So next time we'll talk about ship classes ships and ship equipment on another segment of, well, actually that brings us to our next community question. Field Notes isn't a Trek enough name for this segment, really, is it? What should we call this from now on? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in this episode's post on the official Star Trek Online forums. We are now accepting submissions for a new name for the Field Notes segment. Possibly something to do with my colleague's nickname of me as The Professor, but not necessarily. We just want something new, something a little more Trek-inspired, and something to go along with this reboot of Field Notes. And no, not Field Notes, the next generation. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains. Uh, because of our interview with Al Rivera last week, we did not pose a community question to y'all. So this is just some good old-fashioned feedback. Our first piece of feedback comes from Dan Koheiser via the PriorityOnePodcast.com post for episode 169. Except for the number of passive abilities you get from start, the incoming changes for season 9 I see as good changes. Or at least not ones to get so upset about. The power difference between people who did a lot of work to get where they are as opposed to new people who have yet to do the work should be there to award the people who actually work through the grind to those that have not. Thank you guys and Al for putting this episode out. I like hearing about the thinking behind Choices Made. Dan, I'd also like to thank you for submitting a pronunciation guide to your name for Elijah's elucidation. It's a fair point. I mean, you do want there to be a difference, but how big a difference is okay for actually running missions together and feeling like you as a new person are pulling your weight not only that, but, you know, as people progress and move on and get more powers, it, you know, for the newbie player that just makes endgame, you know, there's a lot of catching up they're going to have to do. So how how long before they, 
just say, well, forget this. I don't want to spend another six months just trying to grind out the reputation projects. Yeah, just to feel like I can hold my own. Right. Ward Khalees commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I think that activity or involvement is what should be looked at when calculating rewards. The frequency of things such as weapon activations, device and gear use, speed throttling, boff abilities, and captain abilities that are used. Those should be added up and measured against the other players and any major disparity. High or low should be rewarded as such. No, that's fair. That's what we were talking about with um, AFKers and people who just fly around while everybody else does the mission like we were experiencing occasionally in Mirror Invasion. Yeah, it's, it's just where to set the threshold on that, I think, is the tough part. Because you don't want to punish somebody who just doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, you know what would be cool? If they had a trainee thing for each PvE, there was a trainee level that people could just go in, not worry about people getting mad, not worry about messing it up. I wouldn't mind if I'm training. I don't care if I don't get the rewards. I just want to be able to learn how to do it, and then when I'm ready and confident, then I want to go with the other people. I don't... I mean, for me, I wouldn't be upset if I didn't get rewards if I was in training. I just don't like upsetting people. All right. So on PriorityOnePodcast.com, the Grand Nagus writes, Enjoyed the interview, but it's a shame that with such a big update that's all about system improvement, no time could be made for the foundry. Oh, well. Hoppa Jedi writes via the PriorityOnePodcast.com post for episode 169. So if I understood Gekko correctly, they are taking away reputation slots now and might allow us to earn one or more of them back later even accounting for making the system more flexible this seems kind of wrong so no they're not taking away a reputation slot yeah because we're definitely getting only four space and four ground of the passes which i think is what uh hobbit jedi is talking about because right now we have eight and eight so it's it's not just it's just not the trade-off with making the system more flexible. It's a trade-off with the system more flexible and the individual powers being more powerful. So that's what, that's what we have to see if in its final form, because they are still adjusting and changing them every week, whether that bounces out. Azurian emailed us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Good work, though given what Al said in the interview, it doesn't really excite me like previous seasons. It's more of the same old. Not thrilled in having to do another reputation grind. STO really needs to change course and put some real excitement into the game. No more content people get tired of the next season. We need actual long-term content fun. All right, so what are you talking about, Azurian? Give me give me an example of long-term content fun that you're never going to get bored of doing. No, it's true. I, I'm having trouble even envisioning what MMO-style content I've played that has that sort of long-term that sort of long-term appeal. Jace has a good point. There is very few MMOs that content doesn't get boring after a while. I mean, that's just the nature of, of, a, of a video game. I mean, what MMO has content that is just absolutely replayable over and over and over again? I mean, the only thing that that I ever played over and over and over again was was Halo uh, as a first-person shooter, and that's multiplayer mode. You know, that, that was it, um, which is PvP. And that's a whole can of worms. Right, that's a whole different, that's a whole can of worms right in and of itself. So, uh, you know, I guess the only playable content that can be done over and over would be PvP, right? Because there's, you're, you're against another human being, so there's the surprise factor there. But what content 
could you possibly add to the game, PvE content could you add to the game that you one would not get bored of after a while? I mean, that's the point of having new content season after season. I think it's a lot about the people for me. I don't log on to be like, ooh, I want to go play this so badly. It's because of the people. That's why I want to log on. Not only that, as it being a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, I mean, certainly, yeah, there's a, there's a social aspect to it, but the game, imagine if they created one content, one piece of content that was intended to be forever playable and never get boring. But let's say, you know, a battle zone or something, something of that nature. What if the battle zone was the last epic piece of content that Doe came out with because, you know, there's variables that, that could happen. I, I just don't think that there's an answer to that. I don't think that you can find something that a piece of content that will satiate that desire. That's that's why they need to have season upon season upon season. On the Facebook post for this episode, Pace WNX writes, After seeing the rewards for the new rep system post, I recant what I said about not liking the Undine rep. The rewards look awesome. There's definitely pieces that are going to get used by a lot of people I know. I don't know about the whole sets. I kind of agree with Elijah, but there's definitely some really nice pieces in there. I like that heavy biomolecular turret, too. We didn't mention that. Thomas Valentine Townley writes to us via the DOF system. I have it. They should take State of Q and turn it into an occasional special event mission tied into the Wolf 359 Memorial. Every now and then, you would get a call from a mysterious admiral that would request you to take him to the Wolf 359 Memorial. That admiral would turn out to be Q, and he would send you on a mission to save Cisco during the battle. Yeah, I just... Isn't this funny? I just talked about the State of Q... Uh, earlier, this was uh, you know something that w- you know we mentioned earlier during the dev blog review and recap. Uh, State of Q was a, a good mission and and very lore guided, and it's a shame to see it go away. Yeah, I think creating some kind of event out of it could be pretty neat, like they uh, like they did with the Mirror Invasion. I don't know exactly how they would do that, but I dig it. Maybe for the anniversary of the Wolf Three Five Nine. Well, captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, your opinions, and suggestions for the show and other ideas that you have about improving Star Trek Online. So please keep sharing them with us. You can reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One. Or you can shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 170 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts of the show and submit your responses for this week's community question. Answer on the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Or now you can also give us a call and leave us a voicemail. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at priority one you can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type slash channel underscore join space Priority One. 
You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses as we cover conventions on location. We'd love to see you at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your ad handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. A very special thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and this week's audio assistant, Midnight Shadow 7. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for talking Season 9 with us. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. A special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Yeah, you should probably go. Um, it's a pretty good feedback. You should check it out. It's g it, with a g with a g gif. It's a gif. It's jif. It's jif. And season nine dev blodge number fourteen. <laughs> 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 uh, In season nine dev blog number fifteen content content. I'm I'm suffering. <laughs> It's like continent, yeah. except a little bit shorter. You know, and I'm the one that's not drinking <laughs> out of all of this. <laughs> you need to drink for this. It helps you just say everything a lot more loosely. <laughs> Alrighty then. In season nine, dev blog number 15, content... Nope, it's still not working. <laughs> In season nine, dev blog number 13, Nick Taco Fangs Dugid... Nick Taco Fangs Dugid. Nick Taco Fangs Dugid. Takes Why are you saying <laughs> it? Why, what the hell was that about? Nothing. Never mind. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, you're mega muffed, whatever that means. I think he means muffled. Yeah, yeah Fargonaut said muffled. You said mega muffed. 
No, Fargonaut said mecha. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just read that wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> I gotta read better. I'm sorry. I quit, man. <laughs> Where's your little paper you can tear up? I know you want to do it. No. There's a little piece of paper nearby. That was pretty good. Nick Taco Fangs do good. Nick Taco Fangs do good. Nick Taco Fangs do good.